Hello and welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 133 and today's episode, Encouraging Independence, I want to talk about why focusing on equipping our children to be independent is crucial to their well-being and success in later life. What do I mean by independence? Now, the dictionary defines it as free from outside control, not subject to another's authority, and not depending on another for livelihood or substance. Now, in the context of children and this episode, it's all about our children knowing that they are separate to their friends and their parents and that they have agency over their life. Now, by separate, I don't mean that they don't feel that they're part of their friends or your family. It's just that they're free to make their own choices and not to be at the control of someone or something else. So when we think of it like this, we can see why it would be an incredible skill to have. So why might we want to have independent children? Well, in my view, independence is the foundations to self-esteem and confidence. You can't be confident without feeling a sense of independence. It it also allows children to feel a sense of control in times of stress, change and uncertainty. And we know that the adult world and generally life as a child is riddled with stress, change and uncertainty. So having a child who's independent, who's equipped with that is going to be crucial. And thirdly, the research shows that it's also independent children are it's also linked to stronger social skills, greater academic success and life outcomes. So win-win. You know, there is nothing not to want in terms of raising independent children. So what I want to share with you are really how do we promote independence? What are the five things that we can do as parents that can really encourage and promote this particular skill because it's so foundational to confidence? I have not included this in the five, but I just want to begin by reminding you that children are much more likely to do what they see than what we say. So the question is always going to be the first port of call. The first thing we need to do is a bit of a reflective piece in terms of ourselves as adults, as their parents, as their role models, as that ever present role model and that primary role model first. Obviously, as our children get older, they're looking to us less so, but we are still fundamentally that role model. I would ask you is, what are you doing when we start looking at these five areas? What are you doing to model each one of these? So really think about that as I talk through each one. And I'll, I'll remind you, as you know, I will just, you know, what are you doing in that regard? Because children, if you are modeling that, it also makes your work in terms of encouraging and equipping and promoting that for your children that bit easier. So the first one I would say is allow your children to make mistakes. In fact, I don't like this notion of allowing in this context. The word allowing suggests that we're permitting them. But it's actually about encouraging our children to make mistakes because this way they are trying and learning. So rather than allowing, which suggests that we're holding back, it's much more about encouraging our children to make mistakes. So very young children are naturally curious and they genuinely have a real thirst to try and experience new things and ask questions and constantly probing. And as they get older, it almost slightly gets knocked out of them. Now, 
We're not going to go into the ins and outs of why this happens, why it gets knocked out of them. That's completely for a separate podcast episode, but just know that it does. So if you are listening to this podcast episode and you've got super young children, then it's about making sure that you maintain that curiosity in ways that allows them to see failure is a part of learning. You know, we'll have setbacks. Things won't necessarily go according to plan and resist that tendency that we have as parents. Um, Again, I say this with love and I understand that it comes from a place of trying to protect and nurture our children is that we have to allow them to fall over, to make big mistakes and to understand that that's a process of learning. So that, you know, that sort of sharp intake of breath that we get sometimes when we see our child doing something that we almost 100% can guarantee is all going to end really badly and there'll be tears, is to really ask yourself, now it's difficult to do it in the moment, but just ask yourself regularly, how often do I step in that little bit too soon? Because what we do when we do that, when we rush in too often to fix things or to avoid our children even trying, is that we're giving them a message, a consistent message that they should not try, that they need to be certain before something happens. And so often in terms of encouraging that agency and that that they can, that they're empowered to make choices is then completely removed because what we're actually saying through our actions is you can make choices when I deem them to be safe for you to do so, or you can make choices within boundaries that I have set for you. Now, there will be certain aspects of making choices within certain boundaries, but what we tend to do is we expand those boundaries and it just seems to be that we just avoid our children really jumping in, leaping in and trying things. And if we can really foster that when our children are younger, that continues as they get older, which is obviously very easy if you're listening to this podcast episode and you've got young children. But if you've got older children, if you've got teens, if you've got older children that have just stopped taking risks, they're too obsessed with getting things right and doing the right things, that they've lost that natural curiosity and interest and independence to try new things then you have to accept that what you're trying to do is there's two bits to this. When you've got an entrenched behavior, whatever that might be, is that you've got the breaking old habits, yeah, because we always default to our habits. Everything that we do, all the choices that we make are more often than not, most of the choices that we make are habitual. They're things that we just do repeated because we've always done it that that particular way. We've always It's automatic sort of decisions. Is that we're trying to, unpick and break that habit at the same time as creating something new. And that's tricky to do. So it's framing it in the right context of understanding that it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And just being patient and really focusing in on praising the fact that our children have taken some risks, that they've taken the road less traveled, that they've tried something that they wouldn't ordinarily have tried and that how incredibly proud we are of them. We can talk around the choices and other things and and what they could do differently in the next in the next one. But what we're really trying to get them to see is this link between making mistakes and learning, because we only really learn when we've tried enough and we, we continually try new things. And when we try new things, we are invariably going to make poor choices and we're going to make mistakes. Things are not going to go to plan. It's part of that slight audit that we do with ourselves and saying, actually, how often do I allow my children free reign? How often do I allow them to try new things without sort of like, mm, do you really think that's a wise decision? What's going to happen? 
and really sort of encouraging them to do that. And of course, in the spirit in which I sort of framed this right at the beginning is how often do you demonstrate that you're taking some risks, that you're trying new things and that you're also making mistakes. And if you're not making those in an obvious way that your children can see, how often are you communicating the mistakes that you, you're making regularly and what you're learning from that? So that first one really is, is allowing, if we want our children to feel that they have agency, if we want to build that self-esteem and confidence, if we want them to feel that they've got some autonomy at times of stress and change and uncertainty, we have to allow them to try new things and make mistakes. So that's number one. Number two is give choices where possible at every opportunity that you can. And trust me, there will be more opportunities than you think there are. But at every opportunity, give your children the empowerment of choosing. Because this leads to an understanding that they have agency, that they can affect an outcome and that they then get to see what happens as a result of the choices they make, both good and not so good. So let's not be punitive when they make poor choices, but instead discuss what they might do next and what, they, what they've learned, what might they then do differently as a result of that. So often we end up with these huge battles with our children when we step back or when an independent person comes in and looks, someone who's not emotionally attached to it, looks at it and then they come up with a real simplistic sort of like, well, why did you not do this? Or why did you not give them the option to do that? And of course, it's easy when they're not emotionally involved and they're sort of looking at it from that observational perspective, but we can create that objectivity so readily when we give ourselves a regular practice of just rather than pulling our hair out and being stuck in the same old frustration with our children, giving ourselves permission to not make a decision in that moment, but simply to defer and say to our children, I need to think about this. I'll come back to you about this later. And then really thinking about, can I do, have I got a real opportunity here to give my child a choice? And then for them to learn from that choice. So the obvious choices are, you know, around, you know, I've talked about this quite often about, you know, do you want broccoli and carrots or do you want broccoli and peas? You know, those are real obvious choices, but there are so many other choices that we get slightly bogged down in this, you know, bedtime, for example, needs to look like this. We need to wash, then brush our teeth, then have a story, then go to sleep or whatever that routine particularly looks like for your, for your family. But I would, I'd challenge that and I would ask you, Okay, you might have a hard stop, and I do believe that that's really important. It's about us setting boundaries for our children, and children thrive around boundaries. But if that end boundary is 7.30 lights out, does it really matter what order the other things happen? Does, does it really? And I, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm giving you a definitive answer here, but I'm just simply asking you to really reflect on some of the things that are quite rigid in the same way as if you know, the time that your children need to leave the, the house and leave the front door in order to go to school or to nursery, do we have some freedom in terms of the order that things happen in? There, there may be certain things that need to happen, getting dressed, brushing teeth, having something to eat. But do we have to dictate the order that that comes in? Can we empower our children to give choices? Will that actually reduce some of the stress in the morning because your children understand the consequences by their choices of whether that morning runs smoothly or doesn't run smoothly. And actually, does that take away a lot of that head banging, constant battling with them 
because actually you've taken, you've shifted that responsibility onto them, but really shifted it. So shifting it onto them and then not nagging them because you then have a natural discussion. And it may be that they make some diabolical choices, but that empowering and that ability to feel that they have agency helps them to see that actually deciding to get dressed two minutes before you leave often means that they're not dressed quick enough and that you aren't out the door. And then the natural consequence is that you're then late. I don't know. I think you just need to think through I'm not giving you a very definitive, you need to give them choices in X, Y, and Z scenario. What I'm simply saying is there are more opportunities to give your children choices, to help them see, get that sense of agency, to see how the choices they make have consequences, both good and not so good, because that relieves a whole host of this us feeling that we, well, certainly for our children, feeling that it's all this top down, we're the authority figure, we tell them everything that they need to do. Whereas what we really want to be encouraging, we're working with the end in mind, the resilient, independent adult at the end. How can we begin to help them experience that independence and that understanding from a young age? And certainly if you've got children who are sort of tweens or teens, if you adopt a more agency style parenting a much more coaching style parenting let's have a conversation this isn't working how can we work together how can we find a middle ground how can you start making your own choices in this area but knowing that there's a hard stop here you find that you tend to have less of these battles so the first one in terms of how we promote independence because we've all agreed that that's a really great thing for our children to have is we want to allow them to make mistakes We want to give them choices where possible and there will be more choices than we think that we can give. The third one is about giving them stage appropriate responsibility. You know, I'm a big one about not, it's not age appropriate, it's stage appropriate because our children develop across all of their different areas of competencies and characteristics and different areas of development at different rates. So it's really looking at what responsibilities can we give our children at different at the different stages that they that they navigate and those responsibilities will be around contribution at home so that's one really important responsibility that all our children need to be given everyone contributes to the home in which they inhabit because we all get to use the facilities within that home and so it's about you know stage appropriate responsibilities But it's looking beyond that. What responsibilities can we give our children in terms of being responsible for getting themselves dressed, being responsible for sorting out their breakfast, being responsible for their homework? You know, what are the things that are stage appropriate responsibilities? Because that goes back to this building independence, helping them feel that they've got agency, because what that then does is that breeds the responsibility that we ultimately want them to have. We want them to own You know, if we go back to previous episodes that have talked about motivation, if you go back to episode 131, where we've talked about unmotivated children, it's about sort of instilling this intrinsic, this coming from the inside of me, coming from me owning things and being motivated internally comes from that responsibility and that ownership and understanding that you've got agency and what what happens as a result and a consequence. So it's really keeping in mind that when we find ourselves in those moments where we're telling our children what to do, 
and we're saying that they need to do X, Y, Z, and we're owning the responsibility for, I don't know, reminding them to get their homework done or reminding them to have take certain things into school that they need to do or remind, whatever it might be that we then end up owning as the naggy bit, should we be shifting that responsibility and that onus onto our children? So really thinking about that stage appropriate responsibility. So we've got allowing them to make mistakes, giving them choices where possible, giving them stage appropriate responsibilities. Number four is about encouraging our children and our teens to have an opinion. Some of you will be listening to this going, Mary Han, I don't need to encourage them anymore. They have an opinion. But this is about sort of talking and asking questions. It's about helping them construct or think about what their opinion might be. So this is all about, you know, if you're not having discussions at the table, you know, meal times are really important and a really great opportunity for us to connect with our children. But they're really also a really great way to have discussions. Now, I don't mean, you know, maybe having these discussions at, at breakfast in the morning when we're all desperate to get out and everybody's frustrated and agitated and there's a lot of tension. But are you having discussions at the table when you're eating an easy, more relaxed meal? You know, and that may well be not possible during the week, the work week, the school week, the nursery week, but it may well be possible at the weekends. And when I'm talking about having discussions, I'm not talking, please don't ask boring questions about how, you know, who did they play with at school or what they ate at nursery. Ask thought provoking, interesting questions. You know, I don't know, if you could choose one superpower, what superpower would you choose and why? You know, if children ruled the world, what would be better? And what, what would be missed from not having adults in charge? You know, if cats and dogs or guinea pigs could talk, what do you think that they would say? You know, really just interesting stuff. So you're encouraging them to sort of have to think and to have an, an opinion and to talk about what they believe in, because that's all part of them sort of believing that they've got that element of independence and that they're that they're interesting and how to construct sentences and what's really helpful for that is when you you can do this however large or small your family is but what it's what's really good is it teaches this ability to listen to others to respect the views of others to ask questions to seek clarification to understand and all of those are really important aspects of being an independent person that ability to understand themselves as independent of others that their opinion is not dependent on on anyone else's opinion that they get to choose their own opinion and it's so much easier to have those discussions when there's no weight as such based on their response so the you know just more interesting out of the norm questions and you can I've just come up with those three off the top of my head. You can come up probably with some much more interesting questions that you can ask. And if you've got older children, it may well be that sometimes you'll put questions in there around things that might be happening in the news or things that are going on politically. They don't have to be. This is not about, you know, adding to our children's curriculum vitae, to adding to their CV so they could have got intellectual discussion and, and opinions, but it's just simply helping them see that they can formulate an idea and that their ideas are interesting and worth listening to. So number four is encourage our children to have an opinion, whatever that opinion may be, 
and regardless of what anyone else thinks. And it's not, and finally, but this is probably one of the more important, one of the most important, but it's about ensuring that our children's foundations are solid. So this for me is all about our children knowing who they are, what makes them unique, likable, lovable, and someone with boundaries. Yeah, a healthy respect for who they are, what they will or will not tolerate in a friendship. As you know, I love the analogy that children are a building under construction. And I tend to simplify that that broader analogy, which I often use as our role as parents being the scaffolding. I tend to simplify this for children and teens by using Jenga. So yes, they're a building under construction, but most children have played with Jenga, you know, sort of the Jenga tower. And so they are a Jenga tower under construction, and it's really helping to see that the first nine blocks, so those three base layers for Jenga, are their foundation blocks. The, you know, what are the nine qualities that they possess, the nine aspects of who they are and that they, who, who they embody that are their foundations, whether that's to do with trustworthiness, whether that's to do with determination, whether that's to do with humor, whatever that is, what are those foundation qualities that they may not exhibit all of the time? They may not always be kind, but at their foundation they are. And those nine qualities, they may share six of those qualities with a sibling or with us as their parents or with a friend. But the, it's the unique combination of those nine and then helping them understand the extra layers that they then begin to build upon. So the foundations are solid, even if they don't always exhibit them, they're always there. And they're beginning to layer their building as they as they grow older and they're de- as part of their development. And as we layer on new blocks, those qualities can be a little bit sort of not necessarily flaky, but they're not necessarily as robust. So sometimes we may exhibit, I don't know, let's say that we're working on sort of layering up. So we've got our nine nine core qualities, but maybe one of the qualities that we're working on is confidence. And now that layer, as it goes on, will not necessarily as be as robust as our foundation. So sometimes we'll be able to be really confident in a situation and other times we won't be. So it's about understanding that as we begin to layer up, we have to practice a lot to then make those next three qualities part of those foundations. So instead of having nine foundations, we then have 12. But it's about ensuring that the foundations remain solid and that our children understand as they layer on these new layers of part of that building under construction, that Jenga tower, that it requires practice until it then becomes another robust layer And then they start working on the next and the next. But it's that reinforcement of them helping them understand that they have those foundations, that if they've got trustworthiness and kindness, that they don't disappear. They may not have necessarily evidenced them in that particular situation, but that they are still there. And that's a really important aspect of helping our children understand that they have agency, that they're worthwhile that they're lovable, likable, and deserving of good quality friendships, that they can be independent of thought and that their friends will still like them. It's not, you know, it's, it's helping them see that they are, that their opinion and who they are, however similar or different they are to their friendship groups or their aspired friendship groups are what they should be celebrating rather than trying to present themselves in anything other than their true light. So just as a recap, the five things that we need to be focusing in on to promote independence are allowing them to make mistakes, giving choices where possible, 
giving them stage-appropriate responsibilities, encouraging them to have an opinion, and ensuring their foundations are solid. So my give this week is going to be these five qualities as a reminder. We'll put them in a checklist with the gap underneath. So again, you can just kind of have that. I would encourage you to use the gap underneath, actually, to really consider what are you doing to model making mistakes, to model give, you, know, you making choices, to, for you taking on stage appropriate responsibilities, for you in terms of encouraging your opinion, not just within the family, but beyond the family. And, you know, how often do you model that you're keeping your foundation solid? So we'll give you that resource. And as usual, you just need to head over to the free resource library, drmaryhand.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the resource. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you will get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my podcast episodes. As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it and be ever so grateful if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. (music) 